You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? How do you like the new sound system? And how do you like the air conditioning? Yeah, just just keeps getting better. Next week, snow cones. So <laughs> there's someone on our staff right now that's like, is he being serious? Do I need to order snow cones? No, we're not being serious. But um, so a few years ago, I, I was speaking at a friend's church in uh, New England. And afterwards, uh, in their building, they had this this kind of open air, like our cafe, but it was downstairs, this kind of fellowship area for people. And uh, I was there kind of playing with my kids who were, they were younger at the time. And all of a sudden I see this little mouse coming through, like just walking in the corner of the building. And I tell my kids, I'm like, hey, look, there's a little mouse over there. So my kids run over to see it. And they're so excited about seeing this little mouse that they start chasing the mouse. And now they're kind of chasing it towards the door that we came in. And then other kids start hear the commotion and so they come over so now this crowd of kids has formed around this mouse and so this woman comes in to uh, this kind of fellowship hall area and um, I'm standing there by the door because I'm watching my kids and she says hey what's all the commotion about and I'm like oh my um, there's this little mouse over there and so the kids are looking at it, and, and she gets very nervous and she's like oh no 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 can't be you're kidding, right? I am deathly afraid of mice. And she's walking backwards towards the door, which is where the mouse is. So uh, she's standing there. And she's, she's really, she's going crazy. And, and, and I said, listen, so she's standing there for a minute. And I said, hey, I am um, so sorry to be the one to tell you this, but the mouse is now on your foot. And, uh, and that little mouse was on her foot. And that, she looked down and that woman let out a scream that would have rivaled the, the shower scene from the movie Psycho. I mean, it was like this blood-curdling scream, and, and uh, the mouse got freaked out too and went under the Coke machine that they had. And, um, you know, what's, what's always been funny to me about that story, that scene, is that this lady, right? She's like a fairly tall woman, you know, normal build. She was like 50 times larger than that mouse. And she just, that would have been the end of the mouse if there was any, like, problem. And, you know, she could have sent that thing to mouse heaven with one stomp. I'm not exactly sure what mouse heaven is like. Well, now that I think about it, I guess it's like the magic kingdom, but um, something like that. But, you know, instead she's under the impression that the mouse is somehow going to kill her. And, and what's odd to me is that none of the kids were afraid of it. Some of the women were, all of the girly men were, but none of, uh, but none of the kids. And uh, it, it's, it's a picture that two people can look at the same situation and respond in completely different ways. Now, I'm sure if we were to have talked to this, and she was very nice, but I'm sure if we were talking to her, but you know, if I was just prepared, I just didn't know. If I was prepared, I would have been fine. You know, like dads do this. Like we do this all the time. We think we can handle anything as long as we know it's coming. Um, uh, if, if you're a dad, you know this, that you wrestle with your kids when they're younger and, and they knock the wind out of you because that's what kids want to do is like inflict as much pain on their dad as they can. And then you're like, no, I'm good. I just, I just wasn't ready for it, you know? And uh, man, my kids, when they were young, I, I don't know where they got this, but they, they just, my kids would jump off of furniture. Like if I'm laying on the floor, they would jump off furniture, knees and elbows first to try to just, 
And, and I mean, they would just wipe me out. I'm, I'm, I don't know how I didn't break ribs uh, while these kids were, were growing up. And, uh, and, 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 I, and, and I would say, I'd be like, oh, I just wasn't ready for it. Like, who's ready for that move, Hulk Hogan? Um, but anyway, but preparation is the name of the game when, when we're talking about our walk with God. Preparation is the work that God wants to do in our lives so that our lives are effective in the present and ready for what God wants to do for us in the future. And one of the things that I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this as well, is that we rarely think we're ready when God wants to do something new in our lives. That's why, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I know people use it, and, and it's so popular in Christian circles. I hate the phrase, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Like, if you, have you read a page of the Bible? Every page of the Bible is God giving people more than they can handle. And, and then God stepping in, we trust him, and then things kind of work out better than we thought. But it's always, in our own strength, it's always more than we can handle. But the challenge is it feels weird when we're out of our comfort zone and outside of what's familiar. And that's exactly what's happening in the early church as they're scattered through the Rome, throughout the Roman Empire once persecution begins in the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you're just joining us, we are in message number 13, if you can believe it, in our series through the book of Acts. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of Acts, the, the, the book of, or what's called the Acts of the Apostles, is the story of the growth, development, and expansion of the church, the early church, after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we saw a young man named Stephen, and we spent a couple of weeks looking at the sermon that he gave, this incredible sermon, um, to the religious leaders, and they did not like what he had to say, and at the end of the sermon, they stoned him to death. He becomes the first martyr in the Christian church, and the aftermath of that murder of Stephen is this severe persecution of the church in Jerusalem. Now, what's been happening up until this point is that the church has remained in Jerusalem and people have come in, whether it's for feast days or other things, they hear the gospel because the church is at work in the city of Jerusalem and then uh, they're coming to know Jesus. Now, after the persecution, they're gonna be scattered throughout the rest of the Roman Empire. And remember, this was Jesus's calling to them. Before Jesus ascended to heaven in the gospel of Matthew chapter 28, in verse 19, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you till the end of the age. And so he reiterates this in the book of Acts chapter one, and you'll see it up on the screen when he says this, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That verse becomes the outline of the book of Acts where for the first seven chapters of Acts, our focus has been on Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, where the gospel has been at work. Once the persecution starts, now they're gonna be scattered. And what we're gonna look at in the next couple of chapters is the work of what happens in Judea and in Samaria. And then after the conversion of Paul, you'll see that the gospel starts spreading throughout all of the Roman Empire. And here's why this is important. Once again, this is not just a geography lesson or a history lesson. This is important because there are moments in your life when change happens and you don't think you're ready. Could it be you're more ready than you realize? And sometimes we think, oh, I need more tools or more time or more training. No, maybe you're more ready than you think you are to do what God is calling you to do. And if you'll do it and you'll step out and trust him, you will find God do amazing things in you, through you, and for you. So we're going to start, we'll back up a couple verses and start at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. So we kind of get the full orb of what's happening. But it says this. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. 
And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And I love verse 8. It says, and there was great joy in that city. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, if I'm going to be ready for anything and whatever God has for me next, what do we need? Three things we're going to look at. Number one is I need to be ready for opportunities. So at this point in the book of Acts, chapter eight is really devoted to Philip. We met Philip a couple weeks ago in chapter six. He was one of the seven men that were chosen to help with this feeding program that was happening in the church in Jerusalem. And this is not, by the way, if you think, oh, is this Philip the apostle? This is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip who was one of the seven that we see in chapter six. But now that persecution has broken out in Jerusalem, Everybody is scattered, and you think that's a bad thing, but it's not. Now the gospel is going out from one city to this entire region of um, Israel and, and, and the Roman world. And so they're going and preaching the gospel wherever they go. And the first thing they do is go north to Samaria. Now, if you were following, you say, hold on. It says they went down to Samaria. How did they, you're saying they went north. Well, that's because the Bible, when it speaks of Jerusalem, it always speaks of Jerusalem topographically. Jerusalem is built onto, uh, on top of these mountains, uh, and so it's at a higher elevation. And so you could be coming from the North Pole, you would go down, uh, you would go up to Jerusalem. And that's because when you would get to Jerusalem, you would come up to be able to go to the temple, to go to worship, to meet with whoever. And so it was always seen as um, you would climb up to worship or whatnot in Jerusalem. And so that's why, that's why it says that. Now, the fact that they went to Samaria was a big deal because Jews and Samaritans had a sordid past. They did not like each other. Now, um, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, we're entering the History Channel portion of our program. So just, you know, if you're not into this, just kind of grind it out. But we're, we're, um, this is, this is going to be good. You're going to like it. Um, last week, we talked about this, that the kingdom of Israel was unified. Then they established the monarchy. Saul became king. After Saul, David became king. Then David's son, Solomon, became king. After the death of Solomon, uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who was a complete idiot, he became king. And he divided the empire. And so the kingdom gets uh, divided. And the 10 northern tribes of Israel, he divides the, 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 king, the um, country, and the 10 northern tribes become the kingdom of Israel. The two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, become Judah, with the capital being Jerusalem. Israel in the north, the 10 tribes, their capital, is, their capital city is Samaria. Let's fast forward 200 years. The Assyrian Empire conquers the northern 10 tribes of Israel. And the Assyrians had this practice of taking one conquered group and transplanting them to another place. And the whole reason that they would do that is to disorient the people who had been conquered so that they didn't feel a sense of national identity. The only identity they would feel is that we're, they were connected somehow to the Assyrian Empire. So imagine with me that the ancient Assyrians conquered Florida, which that would be a sight to see, and um, they moved us all to Alabama. And then they took, there were still people from Florida left, 
But then they took people that were, they conquered from Oklahoma and then they moved us, they moved them to Florida. Well, then people would start intermarrying. The people from Florida would start intermarrying with the people from Oklahoma and they were no longer Floridians, right? They were like Florklahomans or something, something to that effect. And so that's what's happening in the Northern Kingdom. Some Jews were taken to another country, another area of the Assyrian Empire. Other people were brought to Israel and those that were left intermarried with those who were not Jewish. And so now um, what, what remained, these following generations were not 100% Jewish. And this became a point of prejudice for the people of Judah who were 100% Jewish. Now, there's another point as to why Samaritans had a big problem, uh, why Jews had a problem with Samaritans is that because Jews felt superior because of the temple. So around 322 uh, 320 BC, right around there, the Samaritans decided that they were going to build their own temple. So they built somewhat of a replica of the temple in Jerusalem on a mountain called Mount Gerizim in, uh, in, in Samaria. And they said, no, that's where um, God, you know, the, uh, Abraham tried to offer his son Isaac. Anyway, none of that is true, but you know, such are the things with arguments. So, but because of that, the people of Judah were just had had it with Samaritans and they would not uh, they, 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 it got so bad, they wouldn't talk to Samaritans. They wouldn't have dealings with Samaritans. Once again, when uh, I didn't bring a map, I should have brought a map. Next time, I'll bring a map. I should have taken Dora's advice. And um, so, I'm the map. So, anyway, but when you, uh, Jerusalem is in the southern part of Israel. And so, when you, if you were going to go to Galilee, which is in the north part of Israel, you would have to go through Samaria. Well, the, the Jews in Jerusalem were, had so had it with the Samaritans, they would actually go outside of Israel to an area that's called the Decapolis, which were these 10 Gentile cities, and they would go all the way up the Jordan River, and when they got to the, the Sea of Galilee, they would cross over, they'd hang that left and go back into Israel just to get away from and not have to go through Samaria. It is the equivalent of Broward people having a problem with West Palm Beach people. And be like, I'm so sick and tired of those Palm Beach people. They're so this and that. And so be like, yeah, but you got to go. through. No, I am never going through Palm Beach again as long as I live. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to go to Disney World with your family. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Alligator Alley to Naples. And then I'm going to take 75 all the way up to Tampa. And that's where I'm going to grab I-4 and cut all the way across. You'd be like, that is so extreme. And yet that's what these maniacs were doing. Is uh, They were just so going out of their way. But here's the thing. Is that Jesus taught his disciples a different way. And he modeled it for us. In John chapter 4, there's this beautiful story of Jesus meeting this woman. And it says this in John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but he needed to go through Samaria. Well, no Jew needed to go through Samaria. He needed to because there was a woman that was going to be at a well at noon because she was a social outcast and he was going to change her life. He was going to change her life. She was going to go back into the town and tell everybody that she met the Messiah. And what was going to happen there was a revival of sorts as people began to believe in Jesus. In fact, I put in your notes just the aftermath of what happens after the meeting with this woman. Look at what it says. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Listen, 
Philip shows up not realizing that, that Jesus himself has laid a whole bunch of the groundwork for the gospel as it goes forth. So he starts preaching the gospel that Jesus rose from the dead. They're ready to hear it. They're ready to respond. And it's incredible to me. And the point I, I, is simply this, is that there are so many opportunities and doors that God wants to open for us, but he's waiting and asking and seeking for us to be faithful. Listen, if you remember, Philip was the guy what was his job? He was just the one making sure that everybody got the same amount of food in the distribution. Five tater tots for you. Five tater tots for you. Can I have six tater tots? No, you get five tater tots. Maybe you can trade, but five tater tots. Everybody, he's making sure everybody gets the same amount of food. And somehow, this guy was faithful with little. And when he was faithful with little, God gives him this opportunity to bring this revival to an entire city. When I first became a Christian, I... I went to the church that I, I was attending and um, I said, hey, I'd like to start serving and doing something. And they said, well, what would you, what would you like to do? And I said, I don't know. I, I feel called to teach. And, and they, in a very kind way, said, okay, well, maybe you can teach when you learn something. Um, and so I'm like, all right. And, uh, and I said, you know, um, and I was in a band and my band was on the verge of a record deal and management and all. Anyway, oh, we had all this kind of stuff. And, um, I, and I said, well, I was in a band, and so I could, I, could, I could lead worship. And for a long time, I thought that was going to be my place in the body of Christ was just as a worship leader. And I, I thought that for a long time. And um, so I thought, you know, I could I, maybe you just, I, I, could, I could lead worship at the church. And they're like, okay, we're not going to do that either. But here's what we can do. Um, we, we, we do have a spot for you on Sunday uh, can you serve this Sunday? Yeah, I can be there. What, uh, and they're like, okay, be there Sunday at 6.30. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. I thought you said 6.30 in the morning. And they're like, oh, we did say 6.30 a.m. So um, I get there at 6.30 in the morning, uh, and I didn't even know, remember last time I had woken up at 6.30. I mean, I was 19. Um, but I, I get there, and I've realized, and they handed me basically like this schematic um, in this building. They're like, you see all these classrooms? They all need chairs and they all need podiums because there's going to be classes that are going on this morning. And so this room needs 50 chairs. This room needs 30 chairs. This room needs 20 chairs in a circle and whatever. And so uh, and what I also found out, so I start doing this and, and then people start coming in later like, oh, you're the 630 guy. And I realized like, I quickly realized this is the job no one wanted. And somehow they had, you know, found me uh, to do it. And so I would get there. I'd set up all the chairs. Once I was done setting up all the chairs, I would have to make coffee uh, these giant coffee pots for 150 people. And uh, to this day, I still have no idea how to make coffee for less than 100 people. We have, you know, we have the same coffee pot you have at your house. And I have no idea. I tried to use it one time and I filled the whole thing up, like the filter. And she, my wife is like, what in the world are you doing? I'm like, I'm making coffee. She's like, you're making coffee for 75 people. And, uh, and I'm like, honey, that's all I know. And uh, that's just, that's what we do here. And so anyway, um, then she, I got an espresso machine. I can make it for one person at a time. And so, so at my, have you ever come to my house and I say, I'll be making it for half an hour for everybody because it's just one at a time because that's what happens to me. So, but anyway, so I get, um, so I get done making all the coffee or I start brewing the coffee. Then I've got to cut all this fruit up. Then I've got to cut bagels because apparently people, people can't be trusted to cut their own bagel. They need me to do it. And, uh, and then they would set out all these different cheeses for me to cut up to go with the fruit and the bagels. And then they would laugh and make Bob's cutting the cheese jokes. And, uh, and I was like, man, you guys need Jesus in the worst way. And, um, and, and, and listen, and I'll be honest with you. At first, I thought, you know, the reason why they're doing this is because they don't like me. 
And I'm going to do it. I'm serving God. I'm not serving them. But I'm going to do it. I thought they didn't like me. You know, I was, I, I was a young Christian. I, was, um, I had this purple mohawk that I was growing out. Um, so part of my, like the middle of my head was purple and the sides were black. And I, I can't grow a mohawk anymore. I can only grow the reverse. And, um, <laughs> and so, but what I realized is later is that they weren't doing that to me. They were doing that for me. And they were looking to see, they cared about me, they saw potential in me, and what they were looking to see is would I be faithful in something small? And if I was faithful in something small, then I could be entrusted with more responsibility. Jesus would say it this way. He said this, uh, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Philip's story is so wonderful because it shows us that if we will be faithful with little, God will entrust us with more. As I told you, Philip started out as the busboy, right? He was the school lunch lady at the church in Jerusalem, but he was faithful. And you know what happens later in the book of Acts? Is that the apostle Paul goes to Caesarea and stays at Philip's house. Listen to what it says. Acts 21, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. I just love that, that now he's one of the seven, but he's known as Philip the evangelist. They realize that this was... Philip had so much capacity to do more, and yet they began by saying, hey, can you do this little thing and be faithful with it? Philip's story is proof positive that if serving is beneath you, leadership is above you. Jesus would say it this way, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. That whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. My friends, if you want to be great, there is no way to find greatness in the kingdom of God outside of service. This is why we invite people to serve. You know, it's not because the church is going to shut down if you don't decide to start serving next week. Uh, because that's not how it works. In fact, let me, let me tell you this, and I, I think this is important, because if, if you decide that you want to serve, and I talk to people like, you know, I've thought about serving. And I'm saying, well, what's keeping you? Like, well, I don't know. And here's what happens is because they wonder if they grab the connection card and check off the fourth box down. By the way, you notice I said check on the back of the connection, fourth box down. Maybe that's something to do. Um, But if you check off that box, you're like, what happens? And there's this thing, like if I check off that I'm going to serve, you guys are going to put me in a classroom with like four-year-old kids and be like, hey, you're here until Jesus comes back. Let us know how it goes. And so now, but that's not, that's not how it works. In fact, one of the things that you'll find is this. Whenever someone says they want to serve, we never tell them the area where we need the most help. No, that's, that's on our end. We always know which area needs more help, but we're way more interested to know where you want to serve. So if you check off that you want to serve, and let me just tell you this, because sometimes there's like this anxiety, I don't know what's going to happen. So let me tell you the process of how it works. And um, if you decide that you're going to serve, Someone from our staff will call you this week and say, hey, we saw that you checked off that you want to serve. Man, that's so awesome. Do you know where you might, what area you might want to serve in? And th- maybe you say yes. Maybe you say, I don't know. What are the different areas? We start rattling off a few areas and you say, well, oh, I don't know. Children's ministry sounds pretty good. Like, all right, cool. So our children's ministry director is going to call you and schedule up t- for you guys to meet um, this upcoming Sunday. And then she's going to walk you around and show you everything that we do in all the different positions, because there's like a ton of different positions, even inside of children's ministry. And then you decide like, oh, I think I might be good at this, or I might like that. And you guys talk, get to know each other, and her kind of understanding your background and gifts and talents, and you understanding what positions are. You guys kind of figure out what will be good. Then we have you fill out an application. And then if you're going to work with kids, we have you fill out a federal background check just to make sure that you aren't an axe murderer or wanted by the FBI. 
And so, because if you are wanted by the FBI, then um, we're going to go ahead and make that um, introduction. And, uh, and so, anyway, so just because, you know, we're nice like that. And so, anyway, um, but then you say, okay, I think I want to serve. And here's what we're going to do. We say, okay, you start, and let's talk, let's talk again in 30 days. After 30 days, you've been put on the schedule. Maybe you've served twice by that, depending on how it kind of shakes out. And then we're like, hey, how did it go? We call you. And, and, you know, because we understand that sometimes the idea of serving somewhere is different than the reality of serving somewhere. Because you might say, man, I really want to serve with kids. And then after 30 days of actually serving with kids, you're like, hey, I decided I'm not even going to have children of my own <laughs> um, after 30 days of serving with kids at, at here. And, um, and so, you know what we do? We're like, well, you're stuck now. No. We say, all right, so let's find a different area. Do you want an area to serve in, in kids that maybe you're not in a classroom? Or do you want to try something completely different? And then, the, and, and so it's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'd like to serve as a greeter or an usher. Okay, let's start there. We'll talk again in 30 days. And then, we'll, how's it? Oh, man, it was it's so great. I'm having, awesome. And here's why we do this. We, we do this because we want people, number one, to serve in the area that they're passionate about. And number two, we do this because it's how you become great in the kingdom. Greatness is never found in sitting and having other people serve you. That's the way of this culture and this world. Greatness is when we serve other people in Jesus' name. That is the way of the kingdom of God. And we're going to meet now a guy in these next few verses who doesn't get this principle at all and thinks he's something pretty amazing. Look what happens in verse 9. It says, But there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women, were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and being amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. But when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they only had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. If I'm going to be ready for anything that God has for me, I've got to be ready for opportunities. And number two in your notes, um, I need to be open to the Spirit. So let's talk about Simon for a minute. He's called Simon the Magician. Uh, he's also in older translations called Simon the Sorcerer. Um, in church history, he's given his Latin name, and so he's known as Simon Magus. Um, and once again, if you read any church history, that's what, that's this guy, Simon Magus. Now, um, this guy seemingly did some amazing things, and people thought this guy was for real. So much so, we have a little bit of background on him outside of the Bible. There's this guy right here. Uh, this is a guy, a, a rendering from the 1500s of, of a early church leader whose name was Justin Martyr. He was called Justin the Philosopher, but uh, he lived around 100 to 165. So he's a second century church leader. But he wrote two books. 
that it was called, one was called First Apology, the other was called the Second Apology, and that doesn't mean they were books about how to say you're sorry. Um, apology is from the Greek word apologia, which means um, how to give a defense of your faith. It's where we get the English word apologetics. Um, both of his apology books, Apology 1 and Apology 2, were written to Ro the Roman emperor at the time. The second apology book was written to Marcus Aurelius after he ascended to the throne. If you saw the movie Gladiator, uh, Marcus Aurelius is the king, played by Richard Harris, who dies at the beginning of the movie. By the way, spoiler alert for a movie that came out 25 years ago. Um, but um, Marcus Aurelius dies at the beginning of the movie, and then his son, Commodus, becomes king, and that's the guy who, who harasses uh, Russell Crowe for the rest of the movie. And um, he wrote, uh, Justin wrote to Marcus Aurelius because Christianity was illegal at this time. So Marcus Aurelius writes to the emperor giving this defense of the Christian faith, explaining that Christianity is not a threat to the empire, but that it should be given religious status like all the other faiths that were allowed in uh, the Roman world. Um, and if you saw Gladiator, you know that Marcus Aurelius is presented as this very tempered, reasoned guy, really thinking about the future. No, he was a total maniac. And so he gets this letter, this book from uh, Justin, Justin the philosopher, and his response is having Justin and his disciples beheaded. So not a great response to the book. Anyway, Justin was from Samaria, and, and he was from a city in Samaria that was called Shechem. In the first apology that he wrote to uh, Marcus Aurelius' predecessor, he wrote, he talks about Simon Magus. And by the way, you can look this up. This is all available. And that Simon Magus was worshipped in some places as a god, even as far as Rome. At that time, when Justin is writing his letter, he's explaining that there is, he's like, as you know, there's a statue of Simon even in the city of Rome. So this is a guy that was tapping into some bad mojo and was doing enough to get a following so that people considered him the great power of God in the city of Samaria. But he sees what Philip is doing and the miracles that are happening, and he's blown away, makes a decision. To be, it says that Simon believed and then is baptized. Now, we're going to come back to Simon in a minute. I want you to put a tack in that because I want to talk about what happens from verses 14 to 17, which is that the apostles, Peter and John, come down from Jerusalem to see what's happening in Samaria. And I, I do find this amazing that Peter and John are so eager to bless the people of Samaria because that hasn't always been the case. Remember, Jews and Samaritans, had a beef. And this was true for the disciples of Jesus as well. Um, Jesus was just teaching a different way. But look at what it says, um, even after the situation in John 4. It says this in Luke chapter 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village, village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed to Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then he and his disciples went to another village. That is one of the funniest sentences, I think, in all the Bible, and certainly the New Testament, is that, and I don't know what's funnier, the fact that James and John want to call down fire from heaven to destroy these people, or the thought that they think they can call down fire from heaven to just wipe these people out. And because of this incident, Jesus gives them this nickname in Greek that's called Boanerges, which is literally translated to Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder to me sounds like a 1980s wrestling tag team. But um, now, James and John, James, unfortunately, will be the first of the apostles who dies. 
Uh, He'll be the first apostle martyred, and we'll see that when we get to chapter 12 of the book of Acts. John, on the other hand, uh, lives well into his 90s, writes five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and of course the book of Revelation. And John becomes known as the apostle of love. And historically, the disciples of John have written about this, that John, when he was an elderly man, would be invited to speak at the church of whatever city he was in. And he would stand up, you know, behind the lectern or whatever they had, and he would just say, little children, love one another, and sit down. Shortest sermon in church history, right? You'd be like, you know, pastor, you could kind of work on that. Uh, Maybe, but but here's the point, is that you might be someone who maybe you're a little quick-tempered, calling down fire from heaven. You might kind of lean sons of thunder-ish. But can I tell you something that God isn't done with you? And what's wonderful is that you could be known for something completely different by the time your story is over. And, but here's what it takes, being open to the work of the Spirit of God in your life. Because God wants to change you even more than you want to change. And change is always God inviting us to something better. And it always takes a step of trust to say that God, what you're doing, and maybe I don't understand it or see it, it's always going to be better if I, if I trust you. By the way, every parent in this room understands that. Let me ask you this. How many of you are parents? Awesome. Okay, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever argued with one of your children to get them in the bath? Okay, okay, here we go. This is real talk right now. So here's what happens. Is that you tell your child, hey, it's time to take a bath. I don't want to. And then No, 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 you're going to take a bath, but I don't smell. And it's just like, when did you think this was a dialogue? This is just a sentence telling you what's happening next. And and as a parent, you know this. It's like, hey, the bath isn't about just smelling good. Number one, good hygiene makes you healthier. Number two, baths calm kids down. Now, for those of you that have ever fought with your kids, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had trouble getting your kids out of the bath who gave you a whole bunch of lip getting into the bath? Okay, here we go. My friends, this is what makes people old. Before you had kids, you were young and spry and super good looking. And then you had kids and then you started having crazy arguments like this. Get in the bath. I don't want to. I don't need to. Then get out of the bath. I don't want to. Get out of the bath. I don't need to. You know, it's just like, this is the stuff that makes you crazy. And I'm telling you, this is the part where, this is like when I hear kids tell me like, oh, my parents are crazy. Like, you're probably right. But let me tell you something, buddy. You're patient zero. You're the one that turned them insane. So don't get too excited about it. And by the way, your time is coming. And so, but change is always about letting go. It's always about letting go, even though we don't understand what comes next. If we will trust God, what what happens next is better. And it changes us and transforms us in a much better way than anything we could ever cook up for ourselves. Now, remember I told you to put the pin in the whole thing with Simon? Let's, Let's take out the pin. Let's deal with it. Look what happens in verse 18. It says, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money? You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps, may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. 
So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. If you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to tell you is that you got to beware of counterfeits. Simon sees the legitimate working of the Holy Spirit as the, the apostles lay hands on people, and he offers to buy that as if it's some type of magic trick. That's why he says, uh, Peter says in verse 20, your money perish with you. Now, I, I love the New King James Version. That's what I've been preaching out of the New King James Version for 25 years. Um, it's, it is probably my favorite translation. But the New King James is kind of holding back a little bit. This is a really strong phrase. Um, and it, it doesn't, you know, your money perish with you doesn't pack a lot of punch. So let me just give you a little background. There's this guy named John Phillips or J.B. Phillips. He was an Anglican minister in London around World War II and actually preached in London through the 1970s. Well, his congregation was having trouble with the King James Version, the, the, you know, the old King James, the these and thous, as my son calls it, the pirate translation. He's like, everybody in the King James sounds like a pirate. And um, so he wanted to do some translation that would create uh, something in modern English. And so in 1958, after a lot of work and research, uh, the New Testament in modern English was published. Today, it's known as the Phillips translation. It's still in use. C.S. Lewis was a big fan of the, tra of the translation. He said about it, it's like looking at a familiar picture after it's been cleaned. Now, here's how J.B. Phillips translates that verse, your money perish with you. It says, but Peter said to him, to hell with you and your money. And, uh, and if you don't like that, like, I can't believe you said that. Well, feel free to write J.B. Phillips. Uh, that's his translation. Um, he died like 30 years ago, so he'll be a little bit getting back to you. But anyway, um, but it's strong. It's strong language that Peter, that Peter used about this. So, that, so Simon then says, well, hey, why don't you pray for me? But he never repents and acknowledges that what he was asking for, the sin that he was harboring that, that Peter mentions, or the bitterness that was poisoning his life. He never repents of any of that. Now, here's the thing. Repentance is a word that is rarely used in our culture, and the only time that it's used is in a negative context. Repentance is a beautiful word, and it's something that every single person who is a Christian has to do. You've got to do it to become a Christian. Repentance is this Greek word, metanoia. Metanoia literally means this, to change your mind. And once again, we're on the wrong track, and then God will use circumstances and everything at his disposal to make us come to our senses— and make a U-turn. Um, in the Greek culture, metanoia was about changing your mind. In the uh, Hebrew culture, which is what this word was based off of, the Hebrew word is the word teshuva. Teshuva was much more physical. It is about go being on a certain path and realizing I'm on the wrong path and where this path leads, I don't want to go. And so now you make a decision. You make a turn to not just any other path, but to the path that you know God has for you. This is why that famous parenting verse in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way that he should go on a certain path, and when he was old, he will not depart from it. That's what this, this whole idea, this path language, this, um, this kind of plodding across, there's this, this plan, that's all kind of built into um, the, 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 the Hebrew language. But repentance is about acknowledging that the path that you are on will not get you where you want to go. And, and you've got to acknowledge that. And not just acknowledge that, yeah, I'm on the wrong path. You've got to make a change. One year, my wife and I went to Boston for Thanksgiving. And this is before uh, our kids were born. And we would go up almost every year for Thanksgiving. 
And uh, one day that we were there, we were going to visit some friends who had just moved up to Boston because a friend of mine was going to pursue a PhD. And so he was going to a school uh, called Gordon-Conwell, which is a seminary in Boston. Uh, it's about an hour south of Boston. And we were staying north of the city. So we needed to travel not just uh, south, but kind of southwest to get to where, where we were headed into a city called South Hamilton. So anyway, we, get, we, we start going and we're about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes into our trip. And, um, and I'm taking a road off the beaten path because, you know, I'm from Boston. And uh, my wife says to me, she's like, Bob, I feel like we're going north and we're supposed to be going south. Do you want me to hook up, uh, put the address in the GPS? Now, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this, but before iPhones and electricity, they would have these, I don't know if you remember like Garmin would have like that big device, you'd, you'd kind of suction it to, and then you'd plug it into your cigarette lighter um, and whatever. And so then that's how you would kind of navigate places. Well, anyway, we had one of those. And, uh, and, and so my wife is saying, would you like me to plug this in to put in the address? And I was, I was so insulted by that. And I'm like, woman, let me tell you something. These are my streets. I was born here. This is my hood. This is, I know, I know everything about this. Anyway, um, I don't need the GPS to know where I'm going. 20 minutes later, I see this huge sign that says, welcome to New Hampshire. And, um, and she's like, hey, wow. And, uh, and I was just like, um, let's go ahead and set up that GPS system and see what we can do. But by the way, you know, it's not just acknowledging that you're on the, on the wrong road. And it's not just being sorry that you're on the wrong road. Repentance is about being on the wrong road, acknowledging it, and making a change. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say it this way. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So repentance is not just simply saying you're sorry. Lots of people are sorry about things that they have no intention of changing. Real repentance is when you own it. When you take responsibility for your actions and start taking steps towards correcting bad behavior. If you and I want God to work in our lives and we want to experience the forgiveness that's freely given through Christ Jesus, then it takes repentance. It takes admitting that you aren't perfect, that you've messed up. I heard the gospel many times before I responded. And it was only when I came to the realization that I was messed up and that I was going down a road that I did not want to see the end of. That the idea of forgiveness and grace and starting over became very attractive. Now here's what happens. And here's, here's a, a roadblock that people have sometimes. Like, well, I like the idea of Jesus, but there's, I don't know that I agree with everything the Bible says. Well, Let's think about that logically for a second. And that is, if there is a God, you believe that there's a God who created everything. He's eternal. You and I are finite beings. We haven't been on the planet that long. Don't you think it would just stand to reason that there would be things that God doesn't agree with you simply because he's been around a lot longer than you? In fact, here's how you know that that's true is because there are things thoughts and ideas and philosophies that you held on to when you were younger, that as you've gotten older and wiser, you have let go of. Why? Because you've been around a little bit more, you have a little more wisdom and experience. And so you'd be like, well, I'm disagreeing with myself. It's just, that's how growth happens. Listen, the, sometimes the stumbling block of, well, I'm not sure I agree with everything the Bible says. It, it's just, it's, it's not a good argument. If you will come to know Jesus and you will repent, 
and say, I'm just going to repent of all the dumb things I've done. I'm going to start walking with God. You know what you'll find? That you, there are some things that you, did, that you thought were right that aren't. There are some things that you thought were that still are. And there's a whole bunch of things that God wants to teach you that are going to make you a person who, of wisdom. And listen, let me tell you something, and we need it in every area of our lives. Listen, for some of us in our marriages, we want God to perform, uh, 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 transform our marriages. You know what it takes? It takes repentance. It's it not blame shifting or positioning yourself to as percentage wise, I'm less to blame. No. You, here's what you got to do. You got to own it. You've made mistakes. We've got to confess it. We've got to acknowledge that we've sinned. And that is the kind of heart that meets God in the place of grace and mercy. And friends, can I tell you this? You will be amazed how good and how kind God is when you humble yourself. Some of us have friendships that have fallen apart because we've just held on to this. I'm going to be right and there's nothing. You know. Some of us have like nuked careers because we're going to be right over pride. Listen, you know, one of, this, one of these like commands that are happening throughout the Bible is this. Humble yourself in the sight of God. But you know, that's not the end of the verse. Humble yourself in the sight of God and he will lift you up. And that means that he will be able to take you to places that you have never even dreamed. Why? Because we owned it. We repented. We owned our sins. We owned our mistakes. And then, not just for the sake of guilt, no, we owned it so then we could do the thing that he tells us to do, to cast it all on him because he loves you. Simon Magus, unfortunately, never heard from again. But Peter, James, and Philip are people we're still talking about. We're still naming our kids after them 2,000 years later because Peter's failure in denying Jesus was worse than what Simon Magus had done. And yet, Peter's repentance brought restoration in his life and his life was never the same. And could it be that maybe this is your moment? That this is your moment to where we stop trying to be right and we just embrace forgiveness and grace as we humble ourselves and we really discover in the place of humility how good and how kind God actually is to us. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. We really are grateful that it's your goodness and grace that leads us to repentance. We're grateful for that. But that, Lord, in the act of turning, changing, that you can take us to a place we never dreamed if we trust you. So God, help us. Help us to be ready for whatever you have for us next. But either way, we're going to trust you in the present for you to do only what you can do in the future. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.